0: Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, Ben Allen, that's me, will be continuing our study on the book of James. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. Episode we discussed the kind of faith James saw as dead and useless, and we learned how Paul and James worked together, not in contest with one another, with regard to discerning the quality of faith talked about in the writings. Now, if we open up our Bibles to chapter three, James uh, of James verses one through nine, we'll begin today's episode. James three one through nine. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. who are made in the likeness of God. In this episode, we discuss a very specific pastoral admonition focused on this tongue language. While we traverse our way through this letter, it is again apparent there is difficulty in ascertaining the single common theme. This section warns about the misuse of speech, especially in the context of, of the community regarding the reference to the teachers. That being said, I think if we had to something that could be said about this section and ending in the middle of the fourth chapter would be James's concern about dissension in the community. If we refer from one of our previous episodes, James references control of the tongue at the very end of chapter 1, uh, James 126 27. If someone thinks he is religious, he does not bridle his tongue and so deceives his heart. His religion is futile. Pure and undefiled religion before God, the Father, is this to care for the widows and the orphans and their misfortune and to keep oneself unstained by the world. As well as the second half of the second chapter. So, beginning in verse 1, you might ask yourself, or at least I did when I read this. Why teachers? I think James singles out teachers because it provides a very helpful example to talk and warn about our speech. Through these messages, I am relaying information all the while doing so with my tongue. Depending on who and how one listens or reads this, it can have a large or little impact. What can I say What I say can cause confusion or insight. It's a helpful reminder for me, given what we have attempted to do with this podcast. That being said, back to the content. James again with the phrase, brothers and sisters. If you see this, then remember, it's the start of a new topic. Teachers, uh, this is from our commentary that we've been utilizing in this uh, podcast series from Douglas Mu in the Pillar Commentary, teachers were prominent in the life of the early church from the beginning. The office of a teacher was roughly the equivalent of the rabbi in the Jewish community. Paul ranked the gift of teaching very high in the list of gifts the spirit bestows on the church, 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight, as well as Acts 13, 1, Romans twelve seven, and Ephesians 11. Unlike the prophet who transmitted to the community revelations received from the Lord, the teacher had the task of expounding the truth of the Gospel on the basis of the growing Christian tradition. The rough equivalent to the rabbi would have meant that a teacher in the early Jewish Christian Church would have had considerable prestige, particularly would this have been the case in a society where few people could read and where people in the lower classes had fewer opportunities for advancement in status. We understand then why James might have had to admonish believers about seeking too eagerly the role of teacher. Since James may allude again in 313 to certain arrogance among the leaders of the community, we can surmise that the problem actually had arisen among his readers. Too many were seeking the status of teacher without the necessary moral and perhaps also intellectual qualifications, end quote. In verse 2, James picks up this idea of the perfect man. If you remember our discussion in chapter 1, James refers this quality to a few things. God's giving in verse 17, the law in verse 25, and the perfect, or excuse me, the work in verse 4. James is highlighting this continued theme of wholeness. Moving along, we, as we take this section further, we see James drawing a lot from Jewish wisdom texts. For example, Psalm 39.1 says, I decided I will watch what I say and make sure I do not sin with my tongue. I will not muzzle over my mouth while in the presence, or excuse me, I will put a muzzle over my mouth while in the presence of an evil man. Or perhaps in Proverbs 18, 6-7, the lips of a fool enter into strife, and his mouth invites a flogging. After this, James then begins as in normal fashion. He goes into a series of illustrations to reinforce his belief that a small member, like a tongue, has influence out of all proportion to its size. He compares it to a horse, a rudder that steers a ship, a spark that causes a forest fire. Each is found in the ancient world as well as our own. James wanted to make his point so far-reaching that it was important for him to use these objects as a lesson. He switches from similes to metaphor, beginning in verse 6. It crescendos into this mention of hell. The tongue destroys true religion, which is why it is so important to keep it under control. One note about hell, in the New Testament, we have also uh, several mentions of hell. In Greek, there are actually several words for it. Turning back now to uh, Douglas Moose's commentary, hell, quote, translates the Greek Gehenna, which is a transliteration of two Hebrew words that mean Valley of Hinnom. This valley just outside Jerusalem gained an evil reputation in the Old Testament and Second Temple period. Pagan child sacrifices were carried out there, see Jeremiah 32-35, and trash was often burned in it. Jesus used the word to refer to the place of ultimate condemnation. James again betrays his connection to Jesus, since only in the teaching of Jesus do we find this word elsewhere in the New Testament, namely 11 times. The power of Satan himself, the chief denizen of hell gives to the tongue its great destructive potential. James does not elaborate the ways in which the destructive power of the tongue can make itself felt, but he undoubtedly would have thought of those sins of speech that are enumerated in Proverbs, such as thoughtless chattering, lying, arrogant boasting, gossiping. Think what enormous, sometimes irreversible harm! can be caused to people by unsubstantiated, often false, rumors. Such a rumor can be harder to stop than any forest fire. We know from bitter experience that the childhood taunt, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, reverses the truth of the matter. Far easier to heal are the wounds caused by sticks and stones than the damage caused by words." In verse 7 and 8, James makes an illustration to creation that shows he is making a general assertion about the nature of the world. He's not trying to provide a taxonomy of the creatures of the world. Rather, it's to explain the universal extent of human taming of the creatures. Human ability to tame those animals is inherent in the image of God and the divine mandate to subdue the world. These are affairs that were set up upon and within the divine manate, or rather, the human de- dominion over nature. And finally, in verse 9, James brings his critique of the tongue to a conclusion by attributing to it the doubleness that he is so frequently deplores in his letter. The double minded person, like in chapter 1, verse 8, and also you'll see in chapter 4, verse 8. Inconsistent in their faith trying to please both God and the world at the same time. It epitomizes the concern that James has for his readers. They claim to have faith in God while failing to exhibit the works that true faith always produces. This double-mindedness shows the contrary nature of their speech that faith is dead and empty. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire.